a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Here's our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio. Now, while talking about the State of the Union address that President Biden will have to navigate and deliver tomorrow, it's also worth it to take a minute to go behind the scenes a little bit in terms of what it takes to actually craft and prepare that kind of big time political speech. Uh, all the work that goes into crafting that, all of the data points, all the cross-checking uh, of facts and figures and quotes, uh, all that has to be done. So we want to go behind it just a little bit today. And, of course, to do that, we go to uh, the best of the best when it comes to speech writing. Uh, Michael Conley is the founder and principal at Inkling Communications, LLC. And if you've ever heard a really great political speech, I would bet the ranch that Michael Conley's fingerprints are on it. And uh, he joins us on the line now. Uh, Mike, thanks for jumping on. Brother Matheson, it is good to uh, good to talk to you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, and uh, it's speech time for sure. Uh, we we broke it down is. the president's speech uh, to the uh, DNC, very political speech, hardcore. Now he's got to come and try to address the the nation just a little bit more. But give us a sense first when you're crafting a big speech like that. Uh, what are some of the things that you're trying to do early on uh, before the sort of the train leaves the station and you end up with just a whole lot of words? Sure. Well, I think the most important thing, first of all, let's stipulate talking about a successful, effective speech. Obviously, there's a hundred, hundred ways to do this, but the best way to do a big speech is, is the best way to do almost any kind of large endeavor, and that's to begin with the end in mind. What is the goal? Um, you know, too often, I think, in, in, in most political communication, the goal is usually pretty short-sighted. It's usually to, to win uh, the day on social media or say something that gets you booked on your favorite cable news show that night. Um, with something like the State of the Union, you're, you're trying to set a tone um, for the whole year. Everybody's going to be talking about this in the context of, is President Biden going to be running for the election? So this is, in a sense, it's sort of the first big, serious speech of his reelection campaign, if, in fact, he goes in that route. Um, so I think you have to start with, where do we want to be 12 months from now? Where do we want to be... Um, at the convention in 2024, even November 2024. Now let's work backwards from that. How do we want to approach this big event? First big speech with the new Republican Congress. There's going to be a Republican speaker behind him. Sort of, how is he going to handle the the, the, the bipartisan angle, the partisan angle, the the national unity that he, of course, has ran on in 2020 versus what I assume will be a relatively divisive political campaign in 2024. So how does he navigate all that? Those are the kind of decisions that have to be made before the speechwriting office gets to work 
on the remark. Those are kind of big political decisions that have to be set by the White House senior staff and the president himself. And then speech writing should follow that goal rather than direct. Yeah. And so interesting, and I'm so glad you framed it that way, Mike, because so often people are just doing the performative speeches these days. They're yeah. trying to they're trying to get the social media moment. They're trying to get uh, the cable news networks to pay attention to it. And and I think looking out, uh, and I I love that you framed it in terms of 12 to 24 months out. Uh, most will not even get 24 hours out if 24 minutes out. Right. Uh, and and really miss it there. It's that punch through uh, that really makes it memorable uh, and actually allows people to, to buy into something rather than just a lot of applause lines. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. That's right. And, and from a speechwriter's perspective, the one thing you're trying to hope for here is some kind of coherence. Um, these, these big speeches, they tend to... It's, it's very easy for them to become what we call Frankenstein. Um, they go from office to office. Um, every bureau, every agency, every special interest group, you know, everybody wants to have their little line put in the speech. Um, if you go back to you know, Bill Clinton, I think most famously, really turned the speeches into a series of one or two sentence paragraphs, each micro target to a different subset of the electorate, um, which the country, I think, was happy to hear. Most people thought they were bad speeches as, in terms of uh, literature. Um, but I think what the speechwriters are trying to do is trying to get enough uh, lead time and enough clarity to provide some coherence. So the speech holds up as a speech rather than just as uh, a series of 20-second uh, ads interrupted by applause. That may be the best description of State of the Union ever. Right. <laughs> uh, so now, now I want to take our, our listeners to just a little different place, uh, and that is you, you've written a lot of these big speeches, uh, and you know some people just cannot resist going off the cuff or off prompter or just rogue altogether. Uh, just give us a little behind the curtain as the speechwriter. I know, I know listening to a speech that you've written delivered by somebody else is – like brutal. I don't know if there's anything more agonizing. Yeah, uh, but... I've, yeah I, it's, it's been a long time since I've done that. I, I, I look at it now where I, all you can do is prep. It's sort of like a, you know, training for, for a boxer. Like I, I can get him in there. And I can prep, prep uh, my principal, but, uh, and, and arm him with the best, you know, remarks that I can. Um, but at the end of the day, it's his speech and, and he's going to want to say what he wants to say or her. Um, luckily with the state of the union, usually the stakes are big enough, um, that messing up is usually costly. So they're usually kind of afraid to go off script. Mm. It's when they're comfortable that, that sometimes they'll start to go off and they'll start to think that it's, um, that it's a good idea to start to freelance. Um, sometimes it is and some members, some, some politicians are very good at it. Some better than others. I don't think I would put, I don't think it's a criticism of Joe Biden to say that that's not his strong suit. So uh, I'm not sure that, that I would recommend um, he try that. Um, but I think what you talk about in terms of the performative aspect 
is maybe ironically a real key to what Biden could do tomorrow night. Mm. I think that the um, the American people don't seem to like this performative kind of fake outrage, constantly stirring the pot, like shaking a Coke can kind of yeah. political debate. Biden's not actually that good at it. Like he's not, uh, uh, you know, a real, you know, shake him up, you know, streamer, right? He's he's a lifer in Washington. Yeah, I think there's a lot of value in him trying to lean into that, mm. um, rather than him going up there saying, "Here's my agenda, Congress, act on it." When his approval rate isn't even fifty percent, nobody's going to care what his agenda is. So, what instead he should, instead of pretending like he's the king, addressing Parliament, which is what too many of these state of the unions have become, is he can take the opportunity to. to align himself with the American people and encourage Congress to get his act together, yeah. um, which I, I think is a powerful message for either party. And, and it also would spare the president of, frankly, the indignity of him standing up there like he's the king and, and declaring such things must be done, knowing that the, everybody in the room will be ignoring him. Yeah, uh, that is such great insight, and that is something we'll all be uh, watching for as we get into that. And I, I fully agree that the president should lean into his ability not to deliver the screaming loud uh, yeah. partisan speech, but to actually deliver what I think the American people are ready to hear. And uh, the question will be whether those around him, whether that inner circle says, let's do something different, or should we just recycle uh, and kind of throw everything into the blender and end up with one of those Frankenstein speeches uh, that you mentioned? Mike Conley. Yeah, that's a great. Oh, oh sorry. Go oh. ahead. Oh no, I just I was just gonna wrap. Go ahead, give us one last thought. Okay. Well, I just that the just that my advice would be to resist the urge, president, to resist the urge to pretend he's John Kennedy, the White House staff to resist the urge that they're on West Wing and they're going to be a big crescendo. Resist the urge. Just be sincere and authentic. Talk to the American people, and good things will happen. Yeah. And no crowd surfing, as is always the last thing you should give to a speaker. (laughs) Awesome. Mike Connolly is the founder and principal at Inkling Communications. If you want to check out your writing, improve your staff writing, figure out how what this communication thing, not performative, real communication is about, check out Inkling Communications. uh, Really fantastic stuff. Mike Connolly, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, boys. All right. Uh, Great stuff. Great insight uh, behind the scenes in terms of what those speeches really become. And I agree with Mike Conley. I think the president ought to lean into the fact that he doesn't do the partisan thing really well. So talk to the American people. They're ready to hear it. We'll be right back. Last segment coming up on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.